Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We're taking a a brief, very brief break from our series that we're doing in the book of Acts. We're going to come right back to that series, and we're going to finish up the book of Acts as a series the weekend before Easter. Now, what's amazing about that is we began our series in the book of Acts the week after Easter (laughs) last year. That's no exaggeration. That's no joke. So... We will have been in the book of Acts for one full year. Of course, we've, we've had some pauses in the middle of there, but it'll be a full year of completing the book of Acts. And so you guys, y'all have been amazing as a church, and I hope it's been a blessing to you. But we're, thank you. Thank you. We're going to pause it for a moment, for just for a few weeks, and we're going to address a very important topic on... Um, that's very important in all of our lives, relationships. And in particular, we're gonna talk about the marriage relationship, our marriage relationship. Now, singles and singles again, don't feel left out because I'm gonna be addressing you as well. And we're gonna be talking about this topic because honestly, this is one of, this is one of those make it or break it topics in our lives that can either cause us great joy or great misery. The marriage relationship can make or break a man or make or break a woman. And so I want you to see this not from my perspective, but from the Bible's perspective. I want you to see what the word of God has to say about marriage. And so I want the best way that I can begin this is to begin it by relating it to something that I think you'll understand. There was a certain type of doctor that I avoided for a good little while. And it, not that doctor, but it, this, another type of doctor that I avoided, and it's a chiropractor. And it just so happens that my chiropractor is here, Miss Tina Terrio, whom I absolutely love, love Tina. So, but my, I remember being a kid and watching my mom laying on the table in a cold, sterile room, and somebody is pushing her. Right. And then I remember getting I got older and just so happened Tina would come and would adjust some of the members of our staff from time to time. And I remember kind of watching from a distance as she grabbed their head and went pop. (laughs) And they let her do it. (laughs) And I'm sitting back watching that and they're like, oh, this is amazing. I'm like. What part of that is amazing? And then she'd get on and she's working hard and you're hearing their backs crack. You hear, and they're like, ah, ah. And so I avoided Tina like the plague. And Tina would ask me, hey, would would you like me to adjust you? No, thanks, I'm fine. I'm good. Until, until I started having neck problems. And I started having these neck problems and I would literally had gotten so bad for a while that I would walk around for two days like this because I had a, a crick in my neck that would, I, the pain was too intense for me to adjust my neck. So I just had to keep my neck sideways. And so 
Finally, I broke down and I said, I'm going to go see Tina. (laughs) Because the pain had gotten me to the point where I needed an adjustment. And what Tina was doing was adjusting my neck, my back, so that my body was properly aligned. I want you to know that that's what we're doing in this series. My goal is not to give you just a few little marriage tips. My goal is not to simply just make you happy for a month. My goal is to, with the word of God, come and properly align your marriage according to what the word of God says so that you can have long-term health. That's my goal. Now, with that, just like a chiropractor, from time to time, you're going to hear, pop. (laughs) You're going to go, ouch, doesn't that hurt so good? But the Bible has a lot to say about this very important relationship. And I'll start off by saying this. Don't miss this. If you want God's blessing, you have to do it God's way. If you want God's blessing, you have to do it God's way. Now listen to me, husbands, boyfriends, if you're sitting in this room, you're like, oh gosh, listen to me now or pay for it later. That's all I can tell you. Listen to me now or pay for it later. Your choice. So with that said, I want to get into this. And I'm not here to, I'm not here to just, like I mentioned before, fix it for a month. And now let me just say this. I posted it online that we were going to be doing this series. And I can't remember the last time I got that many shares on any kind of Facebook post that I've done. So I know that there's a hunger for wanting to hear God's word on what the Bible has to say about your relationships. But let me just say this, I'm not here to fix them. Because that's what some of you get excited about. You're like, yes, somebody's gonna fix him. (laughs) Let's be honest. That's why you came. Husbands, if your wife invited you to come today and you haven't been to church in six months, let me tell you why she invited you. (laughs) She wants me, our church, to fix you. Now, that's not my goal as well. And I don't want you to hear this through the lens of fixing them. I want you to hear this through the lens of adjusting you. Because you can't control your spouse, you can't control the person you're dating, but you can't control you. And you, you may not be able to control whether or not they do it God's way, but you can control whether or not you do it God's way. And so I wanna again, <laughs> properly align us as we dive into this. Now, I know this might be scary, for some of us as we dive into what God has to say about this very sensitive relationship. But my encouragement to you would be this, if what you're doing is not working, try something different. If what you're doing is not working, it would behoove you to try something different. Now, we're gonna go back to, we're gonna go, excuse me, not back, but we're gonna go to the book of Ephesians to find out what God's blueprint is for our marriage. And what the word of God has to say about this relationship. Now, if you remember in the book of Acts, the series that we've been in again for almost a full year now, we we recently talked about this place called Ephesus, who the book of Ephesians was written to. 
Now, the Apostle Paul had gone to this place called Ephesus, and he had stayed there preaching the gospel, planted a church there. He stayed there longer than anywhere else at the, up until this point that he had been thus far preaching the gospel, planting churches. He went there. He stayed there for three years. He knew the culture. He understood the culture in Ephesus. Now, in Ephesus, it was a drinking culture. It was wine country. It was an immoral place. It was, there was a, a very, there was a pagan temple there that was the, it was the temple of Artemis or Diana, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. You can look it up, Google it to this day. Ephesus was a famous place because of this huge temple to this goddess named Artemis or Diana. It was also a place that was filled with witchcraft and the occult and just dark practices. We see that in the book of Acts as well. So this is the backdrop. This is the group of people that the apostle Paul is writing this book to. They were greedy people. They, they, they got upset, started a riot, not because Paul was really preaching against Diana, but because it was messing with their money. For many of us, that is the God that we have to kill. It's not the love of the stuff, it's the love of money. And I've heard it quoted that, you know, the, that money is the root of all evil. That's not true. That's not even what the Bible says. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evils, of all kinds of evil. So anyway, this is the backdrop. This is who the Apostle Paul is writing this book to. And he's explaining to these fairly new Christians because this church maybe was, I don't know, maybe four to five years old at this time, by the time he wrote this book, maybe. And so he's writing this book to them and he's trying to help them see what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a disciple and how to follow Jesus. And this is something that he says, he gets real, real practical in Ephesians chapter five, verse one. He says this, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So the apostle Paul is beginning by saying, imitate God. If you wanna know how to do this, follow the example that God has laid out for you. When Jesus came, he gave us an example to follow. And this is something I've, I've said in this church many times, but what Jesus modeled, Jesus meant. What does that mean? It means that the example he gave us is how he expects and wants us to live our lives. And as you look at the life of Jesus, you see him, yes, Lord of all, but you see him submitting himself to the Father and you see him, excuse me, submitting himself to the very people that he was leading. That's the example that Jesus gave us. And that's what Paul is saying, follow, imitate God's example. Learn from him. Learn from how Jesus lived his life because that is how you are to live as Christians. And again, I've mentioned this in the book of Acts, that term Christian started off as a derogatory term. It meant little Christ and they meant that as an insult, but we wear that as a badge of honor. We wear that as a source of great pride because we are trying to live our lives like Jesus. Paul says, be imitators of God. 
Now, this leads us to a very important point. This really is the springboard of this entire series that we're getting ready to do. So don't miss this point. Do not miss this point. This is the springboard of everything that Paul is about to say and what we're going to focus on for the next few weeks in this series. Ephesians chapter 5, same chapter, verse 21 says this. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now let's let the adjustment begin. Two things that I want you to see in this. Number one, the Bible says submit to one another. Submit to one another. This is, again, the springboard. This is the main point because Paul goes into four different types of relationships right after this. Right after he makes this statement, and what he's saying is, this is the main point for these four types of relationships that I'm getting ready to talk about. Submit to one another. Submit to one another. Now, let me just tell you, what I'm talking about is so counter to the culture that we live in. Everything that I'm going to say, and I'm just going to tell you, like I mentioned before, there are going to be some things that I'm going to say, and it's going to rub you the wrong way. And part of that is going to be because it's the way that we were either taught, we were raised, or we bought into the lies of the culture. But what I'm talking about today is coming from the word of God, and this is God's intention for these relationships in our lives. Submit to one another. It's not what the culture teaches and it's not even what we feel. Because what culture teaches us is we don't submit to anyone. That's what culture teaches us. That's what the world teaches us. You don't submit to anybody. You be on top. Your goal is to be the boss. Your goal is to be independent. You have something to prove. That's what culture teaches us. Don't miss your opportunity to be on top. Otherwise, you're going to be taken advantage of. The culture gets us to live in fear. I I was with my father-in-law just this past weekend, and I sat down to watch the news with him, something I don't do often anymore, thank God. And it took all of about five minutes of watching that to feel like I needed to take every ounce of my money out of my savings account and put it in gold bullion. (laughs) Because the motivation is fear. Get yours. Get on top. That's what the world teaches us. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us submit to one another. This is what fear does. Fear causes us to not, it, it, it makes us so afraid that we're going to be taken advantage of that we block other people out of our lives and don't let people get close. We don't submit to anyone regardless of if God put them in our lives or not. And because of that, we take advantage of other people. And as we take advantage of other people, it becomes a vicious cycle that just keeps on continuing. And let me give you some very practical tips just for a moment. When it comes to the the dating relationship, marriage relationships, any of those things, friendship relationships, we can get into what's called the crazy cycle. How many of you have ever heard of the crazy cycle? 
How many of you have never heard of it, but you feel like you're living in it already? You're like, yes, that. The crazy cycle happens when there's an argument or a conflict that just continues. There's a pattern that keeps on continuing over and over and over. It's continual conflict. Let me tell you one of the reasons why that happens in, in relationships, especially in dating marriage relationships. Most, and I'm not, I'm not trying to broad brush this, but most women, one of their core desires is to feel loved. It's to feel loved, protected, cared for, and esteemed. Esteemed and honored, treated with honor. That's, one of the, that's some of the core needs of a woman. Now, in a man's life, what he needs is to feel respected. He needs to feel like someone respects him or that you in that relationship, you actually respect who he is and value what he does and what he offers to the relationship. He longs not just to be treated with honor, he longs to be honored. And the word honor, basically, it simply means to be valued. When you don't value someone, you are dishonoring them. That, again, honor is the Greek word timi, that is spelled like time, and it simply means to value something. And in that relationship, this is how the crazy cycle begins. Something happens, and someone doesn't do one of those things. So the husband doesn't show his wife love or protection or care. And so she in turn disrespects him. And because she disrespects him, he does not show love and honor. And so she disrespects him. And the cycle continues over and over and over. And it's called the crazy cycle. And that's where many of you, if you're honest, you find yourself there today. Stuck in the crazy cycle. You may be on a pause, but you, if you were being honest, we are stuck in the crazy cycle. What does it take to end the crazy cycle? It takes someone showing humility and submitting to one another. It takes someone making the intentional decision that I'm going to get off of the cycle and I'm going to prefer them. Someone has to do this. Let me just tell you, five people clapped. I'm expecting about three for the rest of this message. That's okay. <laughs> it takes us walking in submission to one another, humbling ourselves and preferring one another to break that cycle. Now, I'm not, what I'm, let me just for clarity's sake, I'm not talking about letting that person win all the time. That's not a good marriage when you have a person who's always quote unquote winning the argument, what you're doing, you may, you may feel good about winning the argument, but you are slowly but surely shutting that person down. And what happens is you lose their heart. And when you lose their heart, you've lost them. You have a shell of a person with you. So the goal is not for you to win. The goal is for y'all to win. Y'all have to win. And in marriage, I'm just going to tell you, sometimes it's not about what's right. I mean, excuse me, it's not about who's right. It's more, what's more important is what's right. What is right for this relationship more so than I'm right and I'm not being heard? Have you ever noticed that's why we yell? Don't act all spiritual and holy and look at me like that. I've counseled y'all. 
That's why y'all are like. You yell because you, you don't feel heard. And you can say it so many times and they don't seem to get it, so you raise your voice. But when you raise your voice, they put up a wall. And they go, I'm not gonna listen to that because now you're disrespecting me. And the cycle continues over and over and over. Man, I'm glad y'all are laughing, this is fun. Okay. The second thing that I want you to see is this. The motivation behind this, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, because we're first submitted to Jesus. We submit to one another because we have, we have this core fear of God in our own lives and love for Jesus in our own lives that causes us out of reverence and honor and submission to him, causes us to submit to one another. It all begins, and I've said this before, it all begins with the fear of the Lord. It all does. If we're going to have a a proper, godly, God-honoring relationship with anyone else, it has to be, the foundation of it has to be the fear of God. This is the order. And that's what we're really talking about in this series is the order of our marriage the way God has aligned, God, excuse me, has intended our marriages to be aligned because he has a order that he wants our lives to be in, our relationships to be in. And we often find ourselves in trouble when we are out of order. Again, I didn't want to go see the chiropractor until it hurt. And the reason why it hurt is because my neck and my back were out of order. They were not aligned properly. We first begin by submitting to Christ. Excuse me, Pastor, why should I do this? Because when you submit to God, when you submit to God, number one, he blesses this. Again, if you want God's blessing, you have to do it God's way. Why should I make the relationship right with them? Because you fear God. Why should I humble myself when they were wrong too? Because you fear God. Why should I do the right thing by them when no one is looking? Because you fear God. The fear of God will keep you. Everything I'm asking you to do flows out of that. Because you love God and because you fear God. Not because you fully understand it. Some of us don't want to do the right thing because we quote unquote don't understand it. Well, you understand enough to do it, but you've allowed yourself to create such a distance between you and the full understanding of it that you you, you choose not to practice it. You know enough and you're held accountable for what you know. So even when we don't fully understand it, we do it because we fear God. Not because we just want things to be better. We do this out of love and fear for God. This is what Proverbs chapter nine, verse 10 says. It says, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. If you wanna make good decisions, begin with the fear of the Lord. If you wanna have wisdom in how to navigate your relationships, begin with the fear of the Lord. Let me keep going. This is the beginning of it all. 
and it becomes our motivation. It becomes our motivation. And you may say, well, my love for them is my motivation. I want the best marriage. Because <laughs> I just love them. Until they hurt you, offend you, and you're bitter at them, and then you no longer want to do it for those reasons. And the gap becomes further and further and further and further away. When it's the fear of God that will keep you in that moment. I, I shared this, I, I have a, a men's Bible study that I lead and I was speaking to these men this past week and I got real transparent with them and I shared this with them. My wife and I had a, we don't have these often, but we had a, a more than one day disagreement. It was all her fault, but... I was patiently waiting for God to deal with her heart. <laughs> so I'm praying and we're on like, this is literally, this, it, was so, it was so prideful, it was so bad. We're on that like day three or four and we're not like heated or anything, but you know how you are when you're standing your ground where you're, you're trying not to argue, but you're just not talking for three or four days. Are you fine? I'm fine. Are you fine? I'm fine. We're fine. <laughs> so I'm praying, being spiritual. <laughs> and I'm telling you, the voice of the Holy Spirit spoke to me. I get you not. And it's like the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, just so you know, I'm not going to change my word for you. In other words, yeah, you're a big pastor and all of that. Yeah, you do a lot of things in the kingdom for me. I'm not compromising the standard of my word for you. I'm not going to do it. Can I encourage you with that? Irregardless of your circumstances, your situation, and what led to what, God does not change his word for us. His word is what's best for us. His way is what's best for us. And when we will humble ourselves and align ourselves with what he says, then the blessing comes. Then the blessing comes. God does not change. If it was right for me and my wife to make things right before we go to bed, then it's still right now. It doesn't change. Let's keep going. Let's get into the first directive, if you will, that God gives to us. But again, before you can apply this, I want you to ask this, yourself this question in your heart. Do I fear God in this area of my life? Do I fear God in my marriage relationship? Do I fear God in my dating relationships? Do I want to do it God's way or do I want to do it the culture's way? Because we are seeing what the culture's way leads to. Think about what the culture idolizes and tells you this is the way that it should be. And then fast forward 10 years and ask yourself how many of those people in those types of relationships have made it? 
do it God's way. Well, pastor, there's church people who, who get divorced and they have issues and they have bad marriages and they, they stay single or all of those different things. Yeah, that doesn't mean that they did it God's way though. You can be, and I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm not putting condemnation on anybody of circumstances I've walked with people in this room over. I'm not doing that. But what I do want you to see is this, irregardless of what you've walked through, the proof is in the pudding of whether or not you did it God's way or not. And sometimes there are other people who they didn't do it God's way and it affected you. And I understand that as well. But the fact of the matter is, if you want God's blessing, you have to do it his way. Ephesians chapter five, verse 22. This is what it says. For wives, this means, again, it's a continuing thought from verse 21. For wives, this means, uh uh-oh, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Ladies, I'm not gonna, I've heard many messages and I've even preached them at times where you get to this point and all of a sudden I start, you start making tons of excuses and reasons. I'm not gonna do that. Because the word of God says what the word of God says. And this is not some ancient, archaic, old school way of thinking. This is God's order for the family. That word submit, pastor, what does that mean? I, wanna, I do want to bring some clarity to that. To submit means to arrange under or to subordinate. To be subordinate to. This is what, wives, your role in the family is to submit to the leadership of your husband. And I know for some of you that's hard and you're already, what about this, what about this, what about that, what about that? There are tons of reasons why you should not wanna listen to what I'm saying, but I'm telling you, God's best is God's best for everyone. And this is his will. This is how he designed the family. And let me just say this for my single ladies in the house. This is why who you marry is so important. Because when you marry someone, you can look at him and think, oh, he's so cute. He's got a six pack. He's got long hair. None of that's going to be there in 15 years. (laughs) That six pack will be a keg. That hair will be a memory. (laughs) And the thing that he will provide for you will be a mirror for you to fix your makeup on. That's why this is so important. Singles, listen to me, and I don't care whether you've never been married or you're single again, please hear me, This, this is so important. Why do we stress things like accountability and dating relationships so harsh? Why do we stress the importance of these things? Because when you're marrying someone, you're not just marrying a friend. You're marrying a companion. You're marrying a provider. You're marrying a protector. And listen to me, you are marrying a leader that you're going to follow. That's why this is so important. 
And for you singles, listen to me, I want to address, I'm going to address, I understand, I'm going to get to some of the whys and why this is so hard and why I shouldn't. Because listen, I've got three daughters. I don't want, to, I don't want my daughters to hitch their wagon to someone that, and hear a pastor tell them, you need to submit to a man who's abusive and there. I'm not talking about that. And I'm going to bring some clarity to that, so please don't check me out. But also do not grid what I'm saying through the lens of your culture. Because as soon as I say that, you're going to instantly think, so oh, you're saying, Pastor, women can't, I didn't say any of that. Don't pigeonhole my words through the lens of the culture. God's word's not changing for you. But don't think, because I'm saying wives submit to your husband doesn't mean you can't run a business, doesn't mean you can't run a government, doesn't mean you can't, I'm not saying any of that. But what I am saying is you're not called to lead your house. You're not. That was a bold man, I commend you. I commend you, sir. Back to singles for a minute. <laughs> How do you choose well? And this goes for single women and single men. This is so important. How do you choose well? And I recognize some of you don't. You're not looking for a relationship. I get it. That's okay. That's okay. If you feel like God has called you, enjoy your singleness. Enjoy it. Thrive in it. Own it. Love it. But for those of you who would say, I do want to have a relationship and I'm looking, or for those of you who would say, I'm clapping, but secretly I'm going, please, Lord, send me a man. <laughs> this is for you. How do you choose well? Number one, don't choose alone. Don't choose alone. Bring them to people that you trust. People who want the very best for you. If you're going to date someone, don't date them by, don't have all of these secret rendezvous meetings. No, no, no. You date them with your friends around you. You, you bring them around other people who care about you, who are going to go. That's good. Oh. Come on. How many, we, no, we need honest people in our lives who are going to go. Mm-mm. Now hear me, that does not mean that they choose for you. I'm not talking about that. I'm not, I'm not talking about abdicating your future marriage and your future relationships to someone else's decision. I'm not telling you that. But what I am telling you is that you're going to need people around you to point out things that you can't see because of your infatuation. We do this in the business world. When you're hiring someone, you get other people to interview them. Because they may have interviewed really well with you, but you get other people around you to go, mm, this is how they act when you're not around. <laughs> Invite other people. You don't abdicate the, the responsibility of them choosing for you, but you do get their eyes on them. Bring them to me. I'm not joking. Part of my job as a pastor is to help protect. And I'll tell you, this ain't gonna work. 
pastor, you're trying to control my life. Then don't bring them to me. <laughs> Take your time is the next point. Take your time. But pastor, I'm 30. Like that's a big deal. <laughs> my question to you would be, would you rather wait for a little while or would you rather be 50 and miserable? It's worth this decision. This, listen to me, don't miss this. This next to whether or not you make Jesus the Lord of your life is single-handedly the most important decision you will ever make. That doesn't mean live in fear, but it does mean live in the fear of the Lord. That means respect God's word and the opinion of the people God puts in your life. Don't walk around. Some of you are like, I'm not going to date anybody because they're all, they're all just weirdos and who knows what's going to happen to me. Don't do that. Don't be gross. Don't be weird. That's why you need relationships. So surround yourself with people that can help tell you, that's a good man or that's a good woman. You struck gold or stay the heck away from them. And I get it. Listen to me. Some of you are saying even now, Pastor, I, I married and I didn't know. There were some things I didn't know about them. Listen, that's why it's so important to take your time. Don't let your hormones rush you into something that the rest of your life will pay for. It's true. What am I saying about this marriage relationship? Wives, your husband is called to be the leader of your home. He is. That is God's design. That is the way God has created this. You're not to submit to sin. That's a point of clarification that I do think is vitally important. This does not mean that you submit when your husband wants to do something that is a sin against God. You do not submit to that. That's why it's so important. When I was dating my wife, we almost broke up. I remember that. She told me later on, thank God, but she told me, I almost broke up with you. I was like, why? You were prideful. And I was. And I didn't think I was. But that's how pride works. It's like bad breath. You're normally the last person to know. <laughs> it's very true. And my wife told me something that has never left me. She's, this has never left me. We're in a very tough moment in our relationship. This is 14 years ago because our anniversary is coming up. Shout out. See how I did that? See how I did that? But she looked at me and she said, you don't have to be perfect, but you have to be accountable. She, wasn't, she was never expecting me to be perfect, but she was expecting me to surround myself with people that were going to keep me accountable. Wives, your husbands need the same thing. Because when he's asking you to submit to sin, you have people in your life that you can call on and say, hey, come talk to your boy. <laughs> he's trying to lead our family in a direction that's not God's will for our lives. You do not submit to that. That is not God's will. Your first allegiance is to God. Then it's to your husband. This also does not mean be a doormat. 
you can and you should speak the truth to your husband in love. Listen to me. You can and you should speak the truth in love to your husband. Why? Because you're his helpmate. And if you're just quiet and watching him fall apart, you're not helping. You should. You very much have a say in the direction of your family. But at the end of the day, this is what this means. Submission begins where agreement ends. Submission begins where agreement ends. That means that I think we should go in this direction. I think we should go in this direction. Well, we're just at an impasse. I don't know what to do. I do know what to do. You submit to the leadership of your husband. I know that baby crying is exactly what some of us feel right now, but that's okay. <laughs> Let me tell you what this does. This, again, this goes back to submission to one another. This puts the weight where it needs to be on his shoulders. You submitting to him does not make you less than. You submitting to him puts the responsibility the way God intended it on the shoulders of the man who's called to bear the brunt of the responsibility for your family. That's what that does. It's out of order, wives, when you have to lead your family. It just is. And I know I was raised by a single mom. And I honor and respect my mom for carrying the weight of my family on her shoulders the way that she did. But let me just tell you, that's something she had to do. That was not something she should have had to do. And wives, you've been in those situations where you've had to carry the weight and it did not feel natural to you. Let me help you. It's because you were never intended to carry it. He was. He was. I'm saying this is God's design for the order of the family. Now, for those of you who are saying, well, that's just ancient Pastor Gabe. That's just the way that the, the old people thought back in those days when Paul wrote the Bible. No, 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 no. Remember who Paul wrote this to. He wrote this to the people of Ephesus. Who was their God? It was a goddess named Diana or Artemis. At least religiously speaking, that was a female-dominated culture. That's who he wrote this to. Not because it was just the culture of the day. He wrote it because even in the middle of a culture that was out of whack, he was saying this is God's divine order for the family. And this is how my people are supposed to live. Now, you may be asking, well, how, do, how do I do that? Now, don't get me wrong. Pastor, I, I'm bringing in someone who's been married for 40 plus years next week to speak and to bring some wisdom in our, to your marriages. For those of you who would say, well, Pastor, you've only been married 14 years. Okay, great. Thank you. I, I'll bring in somebody who's been married 40 to tell you the exact same thing. Then. <laughs> and I've said this before, just because you've been married for 30 years doesn't mean you've been doing it right for 30 years. Just uh, for clarity's sake, but after that, men, don't clap too loud because your turn is when I come back. <laughs> and we're going to talk to the men and address your role in the family. 
But you may be asking, how do I do that? As a wife, as a mom, as a girlfriend, or as a, as a girlfriend, you're not called to submit to him, by the way. Let me just say that. Is it, you're not called to submit to him until he is the covenantal head of your family, the way God intended it. Which means he's not the leader until you got a ring. How do I do that? Number one, you let him feel the weight of being the leader. You let him feel the weight of being the leader. That means that sometimes, guess what? He's going to make some bad calls. Let him. Let him mess up from time to time. You may be smarter than him. I get it. But you're not called to lead. He is. Let him make some bad decisions. And again, I'm not talking about detrimental things. That's why it's important to have other people in your lives. But the moment you step up and start micromanaging and taking the leadership role away from your husband, he's going to either fight or he's going to drift away and become an impotent man. And you don't want either one of those. You don't want either one of those. Let him feel the weight of it. Don't beat him up. Listen to me, even with the Bible. Don't beat him over the head with the Bible, hoping that he's going to change. That's not going to work. You're not this. I wish you were more like, don't do that. Because when you do that, you are not going to get the results that you want. This is what the Bible says about just about that very thing. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, listen to this, don't miss this. This is good news for you. Your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over. By observing your pure and relevant lives, don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or or beautiful clothing. Listen, that doesn't mean wear skirts and long hair. That's saying don't focus on those things as much as your inward self. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. If you're so spirit-filled and full of God, don't beat him up. Do what the Bible says. Honor him. Submit to his leadership because that's God's established order in this family. The next thing you do, is support and encourage him. These are very practical things. Support and encourage him. Don't tear him down with your words. Use your words to build him up. Ladies, you'll never know what it means to a man when you speak of him well publicly. We live in a day and time where just the idea of masculinity is so attacked. It's so beat down. And the last place that a man needs to feel that is in his own home as well. Use your words to build him up at home. Use your words to build him up in public. Again, I'm not saying be a doormat. And for some of you, this may feel fake. Fake it until it becomes who you are. 
speak words of faith over him until you genuinely feel that way about him. Pray for him. Pray for him. God can do more with your prayers than he ever could with you going, you need to do what the Bible says. Pray for God to change him, to change his heart. There are two women in a man's life that can make or break him. His mom and his wife. Moms, you don't fall into the trap of culture as well. Don't be so afraid that your husband is going to become a, a womanizing jerk that you beat him down before he has the opportunity to become a man. Build him up with your words and pray for him. Build your husbands up with your words. When you show him that you're willing to respect him and follow him, listen to me. Uh, this is not a foolproof, 100% promise. But what I'm telling you is this. You have a much better chance of him rising to the occasion than when you're tearing him down. Build him up, baby, you can do this. Baby, I'm praying for you. I know you had a hard day at work. I'm praying for you. Instead of, we need you to keep this job. Baby, I'm praying for you. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I just want to let you know, me and this family are supporting you and we're building you up. Build them up that way, build them up publicly. And I get it, why don't you do these things? Why, why is this so hard? I know why. And I just wanna address this for a moment and we're gonna be closing soon, don't worry. The, the chiropractic appointment will be over soon. <laughs> you get to that place because you're tired. Because you've allowed your heart to be disappointed over and over again to the point where you're bitter and you're giving up hope in your marriage, giving up hope of him ever changing. So now the only thing you can do is from time to time vent your frustrations. It's like a pressure cooker. You're just releasing the steam from time to time. Psst, 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 psst. Every time you do that, though, you're burning him more and more. Psst, psst, psst. Won't you try a different approach? Because clearly what you're doing is not working. Won't you try a different approach? Use your words to build him up. The next thing, in, and I'm not gonna stay here long, and I know this is somewhat mixed company, but this is an important part of our marriage. Sexually support him. What do I mean by that? And again, I'm not gonna say here, don't get too uncomfortable. But I will say this as a pastor, we joke about this, half of my job is to keep single people out of bed and married people in bed. It's true. There's a lot of truth to that statement. This part of your marriage is important. It's vitally important. It's not everything. Don't get me wrong, it is not everything, but it is vitally important to your marriage. And the last time I preached on this, I got, uh, I think, an anonymous email or letter. I'm just telling you, if you don't have the courage to put your name on it, I ain't reading it. So don't waste your email. But ladies, when you refuse to sleep with your husbands, it's like when he refuses to talk to you. It leaves him the same way that leaves you feeling insecure, unimportant, used, 
and frustrated. And you, they don't, you don't know what to do with that, that anxiety and that frustration inside of you. The marriage, intend, the marriage bed was intended for you to frequently join with one another. Do not use that as a way to manipulate and control. Why? Because that's not the will of God for your marriage. That is not submitting to one another. When you give yourself to your spouse, you are literally physically submitting yourselves to one another. And that is the beauty of marriage. You should sleep with each other often. That should happen. Every man in this place wanted to amen me, but only, only one of them had the courage to whisper it. Wise, I'm not, I'm not, hear me, hear, hear my heart, hear, hear your pastor. I'm saying this as your pastor. I'm not saying this so you can feel used. I'm saying this when you don't do that, he feels used. You are not keeping up a very vital part of the covenant agreement you made with one another. Husbands don't demand this, but wives don't deprive this. Men do not demand it, but wives do not deprive it. It is the coming together. It is, and this is going to freak some of you out, but it is a form of worship before God when you do. God created it that way. It's not yucky, gross, ew, God's up there going, okay, I'm allowing this. No, no, no. This is the way he built you, made you, intended for this relationship to function. When you are not doing that, you are depriving one another of a vital part of your marriage relationship. And it's not submitting to one another. Well, pastor, I'm closing. I'm coming. I promise you. (laughs) Pastor, I have reasons why I don't. I've been physically hurt. I've been emotionally hurt. And I understand that there are many valid reasons why you don't. But I'm here to tell you that biblically before God, there's no excuse not to. You may have a reason not to, but you don't have an excuse not to. What am I saying? Your hurt is causing your husband to hurt. Your pain or trauma in that area of your life is, can, is causing pain and trauma in him. What am I saying? If there's hurt and trauma there, it's time to get some healing. It's time to go through a process of healing. It's time to go through a process of rectifying that in your life. Husbands, be patient with your wives. Be understanding. Dwell with them, the Bible says, in patience and in understanding. But do not leave that as just an untouchable area of your marriage. Because when you do, you've left the door wide open for the devil to come in. If you're not satisfying that area of his life, the devil will place a line of women there too. And the marriage crumbles. So as I transition, I want to go back. I'm closing with this. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21. And again, this was the springboard for this entire, this entire, these next four relationships that Paul talks about. This is the springboard. Ephesians 5, verse 21. And further, submit to one another 
out of reverence for Christ. Now, something that I discovered in preparing for this message that I'd never seen before is in, the, in many of the early Greek manuscripts, some of the original languages that we believe the Bible was written in, Greek and Hebrew in the Old Testament, Greek in the New Testament. In many of those tra- manuscripts in Greek, verse 22 doesn't actually say, wives, submit to your husbands. It's not what, in many of the translations, it doesn't even say that. What it says is something more along, along the lines of this, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ, wives, to your own husbands as to the Lord. Pastor, what is that? Is that a play on word? No. What I'm saying and what it's saying is this, Submission is for all of you. And this is just clearly defining the ways that you submit to one another. Wives, you submit to your husbands by following his leadership. Husbands, you submit to your wives by laying your life down and tenderly leading her. So wives, don't walk away from this and think that I'm encouraging you to be beat down. I am not. I'm encouraging you to speak. I'm encouraging you to love. I'm encouraging you to encourage. I'm encouraging you to be the helpmate. But do not take away from the fact that you are called to follow and support that man to be the leader God wants him to be. Now again, in two weeks, husbands, I'm coming for you. But wives, If you want God's blessing on your marriage, you have to do it God's way. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for this message. I pray that some of these moments were really encouraging. Some of these moments were tough. But Lord, I pray that you would align us so that we have your blessing on our marriages. So that our marriages become a witness to the world around us a testimony to the world around us that's falling apart and full of selfishness. But I pray they would be able to look at the church, the body of Christ, and see a husband laying his life down for his wife and a wife submitting herself to her husband and loving, respecting, and honoring him. And the world would go, what in the world is that? And how did that happen? And they would see that it it begins with the fear of you, Lord. Bless marriages in this place today, those that have been struggling, those who are on just that season of coasting where it's no longer really a marriage, they're just kind of coexisting. God, I pray that you would bring healing there. I pray you would bring conviction there. Lord, I pray for those marriages that are, they're at the, the last straw, the last destination. They prayed, God, if this doesn't change, I'm done. Lord, I pray, give them hope today that you will bless it when they do it your way. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, I've talked a lot about this marriage relationship and it's a covenant that we make. It's a covenant agreement that we make with God. It's not a handshake, it's not paperwork. It's a covenant we make with God. But this covenant is simply a reflection of the covenant that God intends for all of us to make and that's the covenant with him Jesus is our leader Jesus is our husband Jesus is the perfect man 
And what he calls us to is to make him the Lord of our lives, submitting ourselves to him as he washes us with the word and makes us who he wants us to be. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm not in covenant with God. Jesus is not the Lord of my life, but I want him to be. I want to be saved today. I want my sins forgiven. I want to be right with him. I want to follow my Savior as my Lord. We call that being born again. Jesus said to a religious leader, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you're first born again. And we like to say it this way. To be born again is a very simple process. It's simple and as easy as ABC. Because Jesus did all of the hard part. A, you admit that you're a sinner. You're honest about the fact there's sin in my life and I'm far away from him. B, you believe. Believe what? That God sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. And see, you confess. Confess what? That he is now the Lord of your life. And that you're going to follow him in that covenant. And he's going to be the leader that you follow. And you're going to do it his way. So when no one looking around, if you say, Pastor, that's me. I want to be right with God. I want a relationship with him. I'm going to ask you on the count of three to lift up your hand. I'm going to lead you in a prayer of surrender to him. And he's going to meet you right where you're at. And he's going to come into your life. He's going to change you. No one looking around at this. You lift up your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. That's you lift it up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. I see your hand. Anyone else? Lift it up high. Lift it up high if you say, that's me. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. Praise God. Anyone else? Thank you, sir. You can put them down. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud together. And it's not these words that are going to save you. It's your surrendered heart and the grace of God and the price Jesus paid for you that's going to save you in this moment. Say this with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell so I would not have to go. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. I repent of my sin. I turn away from it. And I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you're my Father. Jesus, you're my Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate with everybody that prayed that prayer today.